Third Shift presents The Imposter's Guide to Gaming, your quick fix for gaming news. Here are your hosts, Eric and Matt. Here we are, another beautiful, beautiful episode of IG2G. This is episode 15. I am Eric, as always. I've got Matt with me. And you know what, boys and girls? Oh, yeah. Let me tell you. You excited? Do you love PewDiePie? I do. Or maybe I don't. Suck a face. (laughs) (laughs) Do you like space aliens and space people and magic? Oh, I bet you do. Gosh bless. Do you like Nintendo? Yes. Maybe. Oh, come on. Well, we got that and a whole bunch more today, so stay tuned. Top five releases. First up, we're not big sports gamers, but hey, I always put the sports games in the releases because they are big ones. This week, we got NHL 18. This dropped on the 15th of September for PS4 and Xbox One only, surprisingly. Developed by EA Canada. Duh. Published by EA Sports. It's NHL 15, man. More of the same. You know, it's always a good game every single year. I hear this year they've put more into the training modes and more of training of, like, how actual hockey works, like the mindset of why you would do this move at this time, do this thing at this time. So really kind of helping get new players into the game, not just NHL, but into actual hockey. The big addition to this one is apparently, because I didn't know this, the NHL has a new, like, 3v3 overtime mode when you like in the actual games but they've got a kind of like arcade souped up mode called NHL 3s in this game big 3v3 arcade style action one of the examples they had was like you're hitting crazy money shots like if you're down by 3 or 4 you can hit a special money shot and it'll give you multiple goals at once so kind of like you know the old NBA jam style what was that one like Wayne Gretzky's super pro crazy hockey i forget what it was oh, called back man, in the it's day it's been too long that n64 one so Mm -hmm. sounds like a bunch of crazy fun in that mode everyone all the reviews i've seen they're loving that and of course other other than that it's another nhl game by ea sports so if you're interested in hockey like some of our midwest people are you know go grab that up well we should be i mean detroit red wings and all but i think we've fallen out over the years poor red wings (laughs) yeah (laughs) hockey's always been one of my lower tier sports and now that i don't watch a lot of sports anyway it's just really falling off the wayside mm-hmm. one of those sports i like to go to and watch but i don't do that very much so yeah because people are scary man i i agree <laughs> human beings are scary now to be outdone by matt and nhl oh boy let me tell you we got knack 2 that just came out september 5th in north america it was developed by sie japan studio and published by sony interactive entertainment this game of course has had a very strange and not so happy road Knack mm-hmm. originally came out as one of the uh the launch titles for the playstation 4 and was hyped up to be something really big and it ended up falling way short of that to a lot of reviews that weren't great about it a lot of uh, the community kind of got mad and just like wow whatever 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 and this one years later they promised that this game was going to be more coherent than the previous title and apparently there's uh, reviews all over the board going from average to pretty darn good if you guys want to check that out, feel free to do so. However, I will say that this is, for if you don't know, it's an action platformer game. You control this crazy-looking monster-type dude. He can punch, kick, change his size. He can do all sorts of different abilities. You can level him up getting these relic energy things. 
And so there's like a level of strategy to what you're doing. And this one apparently, much better than the other one. So, hey, get out there, give it a shot. If you're interested in an action platformer, because really I don't know of too many lately that have been talked about, brought out, anything. Yeah. It's a PlayStation 4 exclusive. It's a single player or multiplayer. So you can get on and you know do co-op with a buddy. That awesome. is definitely an awesome perk because a lot of games don't do that anymore. Yeah, I'm, I was interested when this came out. I, I was reading, I think it was some Kotaku article saying, oh, we don't know why NAC 2 is here, but it's okay. And then I... Reading the article, I saw this big backlash against Knack. And I don't remember that from when it actually came out. I just remember people going, oh, it's an average, you know, platformer game. Pretty good for kids, but nothing special. And so now to see that, like, people have these negative memories of it, it's like, well, what, where did that come from? I, I never knew that that was a thing until Knack 2 came out. And they were like, oh, this is way better. It's like, I thought the other one was just kind of average. Maybe in hindsight it fell by the wayside as this, ah, oh, what a piece of junk, uh, Probably, probably one of those average games shouldn't be on launch. They should all be AAA spectacular amazings. That was the confusing part because I do remember all the negative feedback and how everyone's so upset about it. But huh. as I recall, when the PlayStation 4 hit and it was popped out, I've always associated average and just gimme gimme kind of games to come out yeah. at launch because you know everybody's just like begging for content of any kind, mm-hmm. so they'll yeah. buy those average games. And then not even complain about it. But for whatever reason, this one had a lot of hype surrounding it, and it just per- apparently didn't perform. And uh, Maybe it's just that I didn't get on the hype train because <laughs> I just saw it and I went, eh, it looks average. And a lot of I folks were saying, oh, this one's going to be poor, you know, bad too just because why they even try to do a second one. But mm. as I stated, you know, a lot of the reviews are pretty decent, average to good for it. So mm. it did way better than its uh, predecessor. Cool. Next up, I'm going to continue the sports game train launching on the 12th of September. We got Pro Evolution Soccer 2018. Oh, boy. I'm an American, and I love soccer. Pfft, nope. Mm-mm-mm. We love soccer here in America. Don't you mean football? <laughs> Europe versus America. Oh, wah, wah, wah. But developed by PES Productions and published by Konami, this dropped for PC. PS3, PS4, Xbox 360, and Xbox One. Oh my goodness. And if you know Pro Evo, everyone loves it because it's got really great gameplay. This is no exception. I've heard that they kind of turned down the gameplay speed a little bit so you can be more strategic, be more tactical. It feels a little more real instead of like arcadey action fun. But the downside of this game is it doesn't have a lot of the actual like league licenses that FIFA now has. So... The, you know, the reviews I've been seeing is like, oh, man, you can't really play as Manchester City. You'd be playing as this group called, like, Man Blue, and they're wearing the wrong colors. But from, you know, since it is on PC and PS4, you can just grab a thumb drive of, you know, some rosters people have created from the Internet, just like the old college football games. They used to spawn in with, oh, quarterback number three. But if you went on the Internet, somebody would, you know, make the trouble of going, oh, look, it's... Percy Watson or whatever the guy's name is and you can update your rosters you can do that here too. update your rosters update your team colors all kinds of good stuff so it's more pro evo and the other cool thing that I found out about this game is you know it's got like unlockable players unlockable this and that you can play as Usain Bolt in this game his speeds at 99 his accelerations at 99 so just fly around the fly around your, your <laughs> I almost said the court <laughs> you can't fly around the court you can fly around the field yeah, maybe with a crazy old track man Oh, gosh, that's ridiculous, but awesome. Mm -hmm. Why the hell not, right? Yeah, I thought that was pretty cool. I mean, if you can't get a lot of normal players, why not get, you know, crazy people from other 
other areas of sport. Mm-hmm. Make it more zany, yeah. make it more fun, NBA jams type kind of, you know, zany banana land crap going on. Mm-hmm. Heck yeah. So if you don't play FIFA and you like Pro Evo, the new one's out there for you guys, so go grab it up. Next one up is Ease 8, Lacrimosa of Donna. Now, this one is a strange one because it actually came out last year on the PS Vita in Japan. Oh, yeah. So it's been out for a while overseas, but then this year came out in Japan earlier in the year, and then, of course, is now released in the wilds as of September 12th, 2017, on the PlayStation 4, PlayStation Vita, and, of course, Microsoft Windows. This title is an action role-playing game. It was developed by Nihon Falcom, and it was published by J.P. Nihon Falcom, NIS America. Nipponichi Software does a lot of uh, publishing of... Strategy RPGs, regular RPGs, kind of like the the side RPG projects. Uh-huh. But yeah, they do they do like Disgaea, La Pucelle back in the day, and then oh, they've Disgaea done Disgaea is good stuff. Yeah, like like a lot of the other, you know, not super mainstream ones, but you know, really good projects too. Uh-huh. You are Adol, and what happens? You're a passenger on this ship. You get blown up out of the sky by some massive crazy creature. You land on this cursed island. And with your buddies in tow, you have to steer yourself home and then, of course, venture out and fight these wonderful monsters and baddies and figure out how to, of course, get yourself off this cursed island. All, you know, As with all action RPGs, your characters range from your stoic warrior types, your goofy teenagers, your damsels with magical powers and all sorts of good stuff. You go around fighting creatures in live action time, so you're you're running around on the map as the enemies move to. You're landing combo moves, tying things together. If you guys have played RPGs, you know what I'm talking about. It's one of those types of systems. It looks fun. It does look a little outdated in the graphics department because obviously it was released for P- PS Vita a year ago, over a year ago. So. You have to give and take. If you're a graphics monger, this isn't probably going to be the title for you. But from all reports, different uh, sites all over the place saying it was really good, really fun. I'd say give it a shot if you got a couple extra bucks and you are really fancying a nice RPG. Yeah, East has always been one of those series I've heard nothing but good stuff about other than like, oh, you know, maybe its gameplay is a little slightly outdated or not as like technically up to snuff everyone has said that they're fun games good stories and everything they're just one of those sideline rpgs that i've never had a chance to get into so what did you say this dropped for pc ps4 and the ps the vita stuff? yep oh nice ps vita playstation 4 and microsoft windows cool yeah if i get a couple bucks i might uh, scrounge them together and try out the new one i was thinking about waiting for the bargain bin myself and then picking mm-hmm. it up because i yeah. would love a nice little rpg to tide me over here and there Especially one that I don't have to get 100% into, like, you know, yeah. like Persona 5, you know, it just went nuts. This one sounds mm-hmm. more like, hey, you know what, play a few hours, go back to doing whatever I'm doing, get back, that kind of thing. Plus the more action feel of it. From what I've, from the old ones that I've seen, it's kind of more like Zelda, mm-hmm. kind of running around swinging your sword and stuff. Maybe a few jumps here and there. Turn-based stuff is never boring, but it, action stuff keeps you more invested, keeps you awake mm-hmm. as you're grinding through stuff. I agree. Agree wholeheartedly. Last but not least, we've got Tooth and Tail, developed and produced by Pocket Watch Productions, who are the people behind Monaco, which is another fantastic game. If you've never played that, go get that. But this dropped on the 12th of September for $19.99 for PC, PS4, and Mac. This is a really stripped-down and simple real-time strategy game with a really nice kind of pixel art aesthetic. I would say more like 
kind of 16-bit era than 8-bit. People have been saying 8-bit, and I think that's just because it's it's kind of an isometric perspective, so it's zoomed out. So you don't see a whole lot of detail, but what is there is really nice. And this is all about races of animals going to war over who's going to become food for the others. So it's, you know, it's... I don't know if it gets, like, you know, really mature and gritty or anything, but it looks like a really fun real-time strategy game. But they were saying that their whole mission in this was to make an RTS for everyone, something that everyone could play with, you know, just a couple button controls here and there so you can actually play it on a console really well. From all, from all reports I've seen, they have succeeded in that. So it's people have been saying it's really fun. You know, it's not super in-depth RTS. Like if you're a StarCraft wizard or, you know, an old Warcraft guy, maybe this is going to seem really simple to you. But if it's your first RTS, you're really going to love it. And being based around animals, all your units are like specialty things. Like you get, I think I saw gameplay of like the rodent faction. You get like little squirrels who throw nuts at people. You get chameleons that can go invisible. So you got stealth units running around. But, you know, other than that, it is your basic RTS. You're building up bases, you're building farms, you're getting resources to build buildings, to make units, all kinds of good stuff. Like I said, heard nothing but good stuff about it, so go check that out if you guys are interested. Sounds a little complicated for me. I don't know about all that. (laughs) Building houses and forts and bases and trying to manage population and doing this and that and wars. Ah. (laughs) That's the other cool thing is during some of the gameplay I've watched, the maps are procedurally generated. So you can, you know, try the same mission and it won't be the same two times in a row. But also on top of that, the maps have, you know, unique bonuses and disadvantages. Like I was watching, I think Total Biscuits WTF is of this. And the map he spawned into, it was like a desert style map. So there were areas of hot sand that would drain your HP of your units if you were standing on them. And then if you stood like in the water, they would boost their health up. So you really had to, you know, it is a lighter RTS, but there are elements of strategy to it. And plus the randomness of procedural generation. Kind of reminds me of uh, the Final Fantasy Tactics series with the judge system. How every time you go yeah, into yeah. the battle, you had the different perks and, you know, whatnot and things you had to follow, mm-hmm. rules you had to follow, except more with the terrain and on a larger scale. That's pretty neat. Mm-hmm. All yeah, like it. Definitely. Number five. So it's finally out, everybody. Metroid Samus Returns for the Nintendo 3DS. This game was released September 15th, 2017. Everybody's raving about it. Everybody says it's a it's back to business, back to form. It doesn't really go nuts. It doesn't experiment. It takes the tried and true Super Metroid formula, pops it into a 2.5D, you know, world. Thumbs down for that term. I know, I know, but hey, that's what they call it. And so it's a 2D game with 3D models, I'm assuming, yes, basically? Yes, exactly. Yes, okay, yeah. <laughs> well, every, you know, this is kind of a big point because everybody is kind of hemming and hawing about it, saying, mm-hmm. well, why can't they just do the sprites and, of course, cost, blah, blah, blah. We've talked about it on a previous yeah, yeah, episode. Yeah, yeah. But IGN, EGM, these other, you know, all sorts of them out there, once again, as I always tell you guys, check out those websites if you want some really in-depth reviews and stuff. They've got it there for you. I'm just breaking it down, Barney style for you. They say yeah. that the the 2.5D at first is kind of like, eh, and then you it grows on you, and you really start yeah. to see that it's still a beautiful game. It's still definitely a Metroid, and the abilities, the way the systems play out, all just supersedes any kind of you know reservations they had 
on the game itself. This is a must-buy for me. It will be purchased at some point in time, probably Christmas time, just because i got to wait till you know, get a little extra cash in the pocket. Mm-hmm. But the monsters are creative, except for the bosses. I hear that the bosses are pretty repetitive. But beyond that, the, the creatures themselves are really cool, a lot of fun. The, the bosses in Metroid are always repetitive because they're always the same bosses. That's true. And if you fought one and you've, you know, you've fought him before, you're going to fight a similar fight every single yeah. time. Yeah, I fought Ridley last game. He's going to be a flying dragon dude in the next game too. Yeah. Apparently in this one, and of course, if you don't know what Metroid is, I'll just real quickly, you're Samus Aran, a bounty hunter. Chick found bounty hunter is a big deal for a lot of people out there. And it was back in the day because she used to wear a helmet and all of a sudden everyone just assumed it was a dude and then her helmet came mm. off and it was... It was. It wasn't. Everyone's like, "Oh my god, mind blown." It's weird to think about that nowadays when she's never been anything but a woman. Mm-hmm. So there are people who pick up a, a Metroid game and it's like, "Oh yeah, you play as a girl." Like to have never experienced that of just every game character is a dude or a robot, and then oh my god, it's a girl. Oh holy crap! Mm-hmm. It's it one of those generational yeah. gap things. Exactly. Yeah, I can't even. I can't even imagine. That, you know, just because I have mm. that memory so clearly in my head from the original Metroid that I'm mm. like, what? There's people that just always knew Samus Rand, you know? Craziness, mm. what? Anyways, she goes out, takes care of bounties. And Samus returns. Her whole purpose in life is to go back to this planet and kill all the Metroids because they're bad news bears. That's her mission. So in this game, you're going through and you're tracking down all the different Metroids and taking them out. And that's where they said that the bosses that get a little repetitive, from what I've heard, the they take these shapes and forms and they kind of just do the same things. Every boss fight doesn't really change up very much. And uh, the yeah. look doesn't change up very much either. So that was kind of the only complaint. Beyond that, they said the new melee system's really cool. You do have to be standing still to do the counter melee. So mm. that kind of takes away from the you know the inertia of it all when you're just kind of running forward, running, gunning, going. Yep. But I heard that it's still really cool, very useful. And then as your abilities ramp up and you get more, you know, more missile abilities, you know, ripple shots, double jumps, all that good stuff, you can kind of substitute some of the standstill encountering with just your abilities themselves, mm-hmm. which keeps things on a very nice uh, moving forward kind of pace. Yeah, definitely. I, there's really few games that get that flow right for me at least like metroid does like when i was rolling through super metroid i can be pulling off all the crazy flips and jumps and like you said the grapple beam when you're swinging around and you jump over here and like just hitting it without even thinking about it Mm -hmm. and so i'm excited for more of that i love me some metroid and i love that flow that it gets me in yeah them that and of course castlevania you know those two games i think do a fantastic job of allowing you to Use your abilities to move forward and feel like a badass at all times. This game, and of course, anybody who's played Metroid knows that exploration is a big deal. You know, finding the secret walls and then, of course, finding the abilities that will blow up said walls to get more abilities and more power-ups. They've got kind of a cheat system in this one. You're allowed to use like a sonar thing that will reveal to you the walls. And everybody's saying, if you know how to play Metroid, don't use it. Don't use it your first time through. Just play the game as you would any Metroid, and you'll get a great, you know, traditional good-feeling Metroid experience out of it. Because, of course, if you're just going around sonar, sonaring every chance you get, 
it's going to take away from it a little bit. Plus, you know, the challenge of it is going, hmm, I bet there's a secret over there. Look how that, that area is not filled in quite the way it should be. Mm-hmm. And then going back, blowing up all the walls, like shooting everything, that's part of it. Now, when you said sonar, I was thinking, oh, you know, maybe it just goes woof, and you hear like a ping if there's a secret in the room. Mm-hmm. But saying that it actually reveals all reveals the stuff. Reveals ma- on the map, yeah. That sucks, man. I mean, I remember you had the you had the little x-ray specs in Super, but you had to stop, go into it, and like sweep it all around the room. Mm-hmm. And plus you had to find it, too. So, yeah, this, boo, boo, well, thumbs down for sonar. Now, I'll boo. tell you this, though. They did state. They said they put this in to make it more accessible and fun for just the casual player to hop in and have a great time. Yeah, yeah. So even they're kind of telling you, hey, you know, if you're a Metroid, you know, veteran, don't mm-hmm. bother with it. Just let it go. Rock out the game how you want. You don't have to use it. So I'd recommend for everybody out there, if you haven't heard from these other these Yahoos yet, that's exactly what you should do. Just ignore it like it isn't there, and the experience is 100% Metroid. Nothing yeah. but good things on the board. I've watched several gameplay videos for you know, 15, 20 minutes at a time and all that other good stuff. I am in love with it, and I haven't even had my hands on it yet. <laughs> so if that tells you anything, it, it just looks really solid. Number four. How's it going, bros? My name's Doc Fukin. I'm here to talk to you about a crazy pie thing. woo da doo Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) So one of the biggest items in gaming, gamer, YouTube personality news this week is that everybody's favorite or least favorite PewDiePie said a really naughty word on a stream. I won't repeat it here, obviously, because, you know, you don't do that kind of thing. But in retaliation to that, Sean Vanneman, one of the founders of Campo Santo, which is an indie game developer, issued a copyright strike on one of PewDiePie's playthroughs of one of their games firewatch and he said he did that just because pewdiepie's had issues in the past with really insensitive jokes you know kind of nazi stuff anti-jew things and now a racial slur so he said he you know he didn't feel comfortable with him being able to make money on their product anymore and was kind of urging other developers to do the same thing if you know they felt the same way and the interesting thing is, you know, not not just that this has been happening before and this is like the first kind of like big act, active like monetary strike against him. And, and it's one of those weird, like, I feel like this is kind of, this could be one of those turning point moments in YouTube slash Let's Play slash any kind of one of those scenarios because YouTubers have always said that, you know, their content is fair use. As long as they're putting their, you know, their commentary over the game, it's not just... You know, they're not just basically streaming a movie and just showing it off. They're, you know, I'm interacting with it. I'm interacting with the chat. I'm interacting with the game. People are coming to see me. It's I'm not just using your product and just displaying it for everyone to see. And in this case, I believe he did have an agreement or it was up on the Firewatch website saying that people can stream the game and have a lot of fun with it. But in all the articles I've read, they've been talking to, you know, some video game industry lawyers saying that those kind of arguments are really just kind of paper arguments you know they can they can say you can stream these games as much as you want but those agreements can be revoked for pretty much any reason at all or no reason whatsoever i mean we've seen it before you know nintendo used to be cool with streaming games and then they just start saying no you can't do it mm-hmm. and they they don't really have to say oh well you know you said a bad word so you can't do it 
but you didn't on this stream, but you, you don't really have well, to validate it. that's where the it. problem you, comes in, though. Exactly, yeah. I mean, the problem comes at the point of, we don't like PewDiePie. He says stupid things. Unfortunately, you stated to everybody out in the world, hey, you can stream this, la, 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 la. But mm. now you're taking away one person's right to stream. Now, I would think if you're going to revoke, you have to revoke completely, like Nintendo did. Mm -hmm. So you yeah. go, okay, it's, people are out of hand. Even if it's not people, it's just one person, you either give it or you don't give it. Because once you start yeah. getting selective, problems start to come up. Yeah, and I don't want to get too far into the political aspects of this because there are really obvious examples of this in the real world that people have really strong feelings about. And I feel like if we say them on the podcast, we might get in trouble for them mm -hmm. or people might not like us. But it's one of those things where I can I can see it both ways. Because like you said, if you're taking it away from one person, you should take it away from everyone else. But at the same time, too, if someone who has views or actions that you don't feel you can support as a creator of the product, you should also be able to say, well, I don't want you to be able to use my product to you know, get monetary gain for yourself. I feel like one of the big issues with this is that the way that the copyright strike system works on YouTube slash Google is that you know, if you get three copyright strikes against you and they're upheld, your channel is gone. All of your videos are gone. You don't get to create a new account. Anything you're just you're just shunned basically from mm -hmm. YouTube. So I feel like if there was instead of a copyright strike that has a chance to destroy all of your income, there would be just like a we request that the monetization from this one gets pulled, so you can't make any future income off of that one. Mm -hmm. you know I I totally get what you're saying, and I I 100 agree and understand that side of it you know as someone yeah. who created that content as someone who made that it should be your right it's your product the problem mm -hmm. is is he bought the product so then it's like well it's also his product because he paid you the money to have it and that's one small angle i don't that i don't mm -hmm. think that stands up but it is something to think about but the second yeah. most important one is is it opens up the window for other problems like i mentioned and say hey Tom really loves Bob, who's a streamer on YouTube, does his thing, rocks it out. He's not the biggest fish in the pond. Well, Tom just made a product that Bob's going to go and stream and have a great time with. Well, this product's amazing, and everybody wants their hands on it. Everybody wants to hear about it, see it, touch it. Well, F all those other guys. I'm going to say, because your eyes are blue, I don't want you to touch it. Because, mm -hmm. you're, uh, because your fingernails are long and creepy, you can't touch it. Gosh, bless. Seems like nobody but old Tommy can touch it. Hmm. <laughs> That's why this is one of those really slippery slope scenarios. Like this one I can understand, you know, he's he's done outrageous things in the past. He used a racial slur on the air. Okay. It's I, cut clear dry. Of, yes. Yeah, this is a cut and dry case. But like you said, oh hey, you know, if God forbid there's somebody in charge of a you know, a small development house who is super racist himself. And, oh, look, here's the Asian guy streaming or the black guy streaming. I want that stricken because I don't like him. But white dudes are streaming and that's okay. It, it really is, you know, if this is upheld and, you know, if more developers take this kind of action, it could lead down a really weird, strange road for these YouTubers and these Twitch people. You know, that just, hey, we can just strike it for any reason at all. Oh, you said one thing I don't agree with. You said you liked Hillary instead oh, of yeah, Trump. Oh, yeah, gosh. Oh, well, now, shoop, now all your <laughs> revenue is gone. Your whole channel's gone because all of us 
grouped together and and struck it. And you say that you say that, man. It reminds me. I was watching a kind of funny video uh, a few days back, and the mm-hmm. and Greg over there, Greg Miller, and uh, Andrea, I believe, was on at the time. You know, shouts to them for throwing this out there. Um, but there was apparently a small developer who did do that. It was like, I don't want any Republicans to play my game. Period. And wow. and now he didn't. I don't think he actually was able to like strike it or get, he just said it out loud. You know, when you I don't want. Mm-hmm. It. And that's the kind of thing you can get into. Yeah. What if you What if you do have that right to say, Hey, I don't want any people from this thing to play this game, and I'm gonna strike all of you when I if I find out that your views yeah. don't align with my views or whatever. Da 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 da. Where does it go? <laughs> it really makes me glad that we do a podcast. So all we can do is talk about a game instead of like having our our big you know our our day jobs mm-hmm. be streaming games or you know recording gameplay for YouTube and really have this be An a issue. giant effect I know, on right? us. But I mean, at the same time, there there are you know bad people out there who are doing that, but there are a lot of good people too. It'd be a real shame to see this become enough of an issue that there is like a giant breaking point where okay, gaming YouTube is either dead or all game companies have to like. Have their own in studio where they do their own streaming, et cetera, et cetera, and then mm-hmm. only those that are either working for them or approved by them can do it. You know, it could it could go nuts. Approval would be the big thing because if it all is controlled and in house, then you're never going to see anybody say anything bad about a game, even if it's a valid criticism. Oh, hey, here's what we really love about our game. Doodly doodly do, and it'll be just be sanitized nonsense bullcrap so i don't know it's one of those big weird issues that could become something i imagine it's not really going to i doubt I think it. this is just going to be a little spark of people going hey remember that just like all the other times that this has happened it has the potential to be a big issue so i figured we'd have to talk about it on the show i i see it both ways so it's not really one of those cut and dry issues to me for him in that particular scenario for sure yeah, yeah, he yeah, should yeah, pay yeah. a price, you know. I I agree, but I just think it's something for people to think about because you don't want it to be where every minute detail can be dictated and you know told yay or nay by an individual yeah. or a group of people. It's it always leads down a bad road in the end. So what's your stance on this, guys? Let us know at info at thirdshift.me or tweet at us at thirdshiftme on Twitter. Number three. Well, we're going to move on to something a little happier, a little bit less, uh, you know. No, like, no. Arr. We're going to go death and doom. Oh, yeah. uh, the end of video games as we know it. <laughs> it's over. It's over. The end is nigh. Well, I can tell you the end is not nigh right now for Destiny Uh-oh. 2, everybody. Boo. Shut up about uh, Destiny man, 2. It Nobody is. wants to hear about that. <laughs> Apparently everybody does because you know what it's had over not a me, million though. concurrent not me, though. players. So I'm going to issue I'm going to issue a takedown strike against this video because I don't want <laughs> to hear about Destiny hear 2 about anymore. It anymore. I swear to gosh, <laughs> uh, it was released September 6th, everybody. And if you don't know that, you're crazy. However, the PC version has yet to come out. It'll be October 24th when that launches. So for anybody that wants to go PC, I'm sorry you're missing out right now, but. You will get the ultimate experience once it does release. You get the uncapped frame rates. You get the HDR, 4K, high quality, blah, blah, blah. You get all the stuff. You get all the bells and whistles, all the customizations, the in-game chat. You get you get it all. So fret not, worry not. Go play on a console and bide your time until it comes out and then pick it up a second time and give Bungie all your money. 
And if you didn't know, it is developed by Bungie. I've told you guys this a billion times before. It is published by Activision. Oh, and where to begin, Matt? Man, they they just they just did a number here. So, Destiny 1. No story, incoherent. You really don't yeah. have a clue what's happening. You're just, you know, shooting aliens, having a good time because Bungie is notorious for having that good gun feel system that you hate, but everybody else loves. So, sorry, Matt. I'm, I'm going to shoot a Destiny 1 uh, comparison here. I don't have time to explain why there's no time to explain oh, nice why I hate oh. the game. Oh, boy. So, anyways, the story definitively improved. There is a story. So basically it already was 100% better at this point. Yeah. But it is a good story on top of that and the characters especially Gaul, the you know the main protagonist, the bad guy, you get you get to feel like his position on how things are and then you realize and this is what I love the most that he's not he's not evil. Mm-hmm. He's not like, "Wow, I just want to blow up the world and kill everything." He wants to have the power that the traveler can bestow. And he wants to get it by having the traveler approve of him. Now he comes from a war, you know, based society, so his nat- natural inclination is come in. I conquer you, you know. I do what I need to do. Show you that I am powerful, that I am strong, that I am capable, and then you will bestow upon me this power. Well, of course, it doesn't happen quite that way. And then he he goes on and on. I won't spoil anymore. But it's a good story. You really get to go. Hey, okay, this dude's not like just some madman. He just doesn't understand. <laughs> he actually has motivations and reasons for doing yes, what he's exactly. doing. Yes, exactly. And I love that. You know, it's it's a breath of fresh air. I enjoy it. So we'll move off that because I don't want to make this all spoilery and everything else. The gunplay, if you liked Destiny 1, if you liked Halo, you're going to love it. It's, it's more of that. It feels even better because, to me, the sound quality is even better. They redid, like, all sorts of sound effects for the guns and everything else. So it's just... It's like that nice, fresh, oh, this mm. crisp banging and clanking and shooting and going. All of it. The music's fantastic. This one's a toughie. The graphics are phenomenal to me. I understand there is some criticisms that it's basically, you know, Destiny 1.5 in the graphical department. They thought there would be a little bit more jump for, since they were trying to create, you know, for the PS3 and PS4 last time. Mm-hmm. But it isn't a huge jump, you know, and I'll give you that. But it's still gorgeous. There's still so many moments where you stop and kind of just look out and go, man, this backdrop is just awesome. I, I could stand here, you know, take some pictures and just, and I have. I've got them on my PlayStation 4 for me to go look at if I feel like it or do whatever I want with. Mm-hmm. It's good. It's very good. And if people, you know, they, I just don't think there's room to say it's, you know, oh, this is stupid and bad. But everyone can have opinion. So whatever. I yeah. digress. Uh, I'm trying to think of like faults about this game, and I just I don't really. It has it has like a Halo style gunplay. Oh, shut up, man! God, <laughs> shooting enemies feels rewarding. The content is the best part because in Destiny One, once you got done with the story, they had patrols, strikes, and the raid and PvP. Well, the patrols were boring as all get out. Nobody was doing those. You did strikes, you know, here and there, but once your gear was to a certain level, the strikes were basically useless unless you were going after a particular piece. And then raiding and PvP became your only options. So if you couldn't raid, you were out of luck. Well, in this one, they've got adventures, they've got patrols, they've got quests, they've got lost sectors, they've got 
a ton of things for you to do. And this stuff refreshes every week. So you're coming in with just all these things every week, more and more and more and more and more and more and more. So you'll never be at a loss. The raid went in there actually the other night. So far, solid. Our team only got to the second uh, boss before we called it. So I'll have more on that in the future at some point. But it was a lot of fun. It was super coordinated. They went really for the coordination in this one. And the raid's still a six-man event. Everything else has been tuned to uh, four-man for PvP, three for strikes, just like last time. And speaking of PvP, played net. I'm having a lot of fun. I've said, I've talked about this a little bit before when we did the beta, but I was worried about the 4v4 being kind of an issue, having to play mm-hmm. and not suck. In the competitive rounds, it is sort of that way. If you suck, your team's probably going to lose, so try not to suck. But And if that stresses you out, just go play quick play, because I found mm-hmm. quick play to be much like it used to be. Go and have a good time. You know, If you lose, you lose. If you don't, you don't. And the matchmaking seems to be pretty nice so far. But obviously, I don't have enough time in to be able to talk too much about that. So all in all, I'm loving it, Matt. I'm digging it. I I constantly want to get back on, and that's always the sign of a good game. That's when Mm -hmm. your mind's like, go play, go play, go play. Yeah, this this is definitely one of those gigantic releases because ever since it launched, I've had almost everyone on my PS4 friends list is on, and 90% of them are playing Destiny 2. So it... It's always funny to see, you know, people like Player X and uh, his buddy Jeremy that we don't ever play with anymore, and then see them in the same games as you, as Josh, as all, all of our other buddies, even the weird side people that I friended randomly on PS4. Just bam, Destiny Two, Destiny Two, Destiny Two, Destiny Two, Destiny Two, mm-hmm. and I'm playing Yakuza. <laughs> yeah, I'm telling you, Matt, you gotta get on board. It's a good game. I recommend it to anybody and everybody. A lot of fun. If you've got some friends, you guys will have a blast. If you don't have friends, they've got clans in this game, which is an upbeat from last time. You can actually join up, and there's rewards for leveling up your clan. You can see who's on in your menus. It's just a general feeling of like that MMO-type experience where you feel like you're part of a family or a team, and you can move forward with that and, and coordinate and hang out in your little clan chat and feel special. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of fun. Cool, man. And I'll just keep gushing about it, so I'm going to go ahead and stop there and say, get the game, (laughs) don't hesitate, you'll love it. Number two. Now, from fun stuff to doom and gloom. Heck yeah, let's go back. Let's go back. No more doom and gloom. I'm I'm bringing another fun Kotaku article to you guys. This article was published on Kotaku on the 3rd of September, and it kind of goes back to... You know, when we're talking about Hellblade Senua's Sacrifice, talking about the publicity of it, and I think in the article they said that it does state in-game that if you die too many times, your save will get wiped. Now, it turns out that actually isn't true, because like you said, there are people who die like a million times. Apparently, it's just a fact that that's not the case. This article and the stuff that spawned it was kind of ripped from that kind of tricking the player into having a certain mindset in the game. Kind of spawned from that was a tweet from... Jennifer Shirley, I'm not sure how to pronounce her name, but she's J-O-H-M-E-E on Twitter. And she asked, hey, game dev, so like the game dev community, tell me about some brilliant mechanics in games that are hidden from the player to get across a certain feeling. 
And this spawned a whole bunch of responses from all kinds of developers across all kinds of different games. And like she said, there are things you wouldn't really notice or even think about as a player. But I thought a lot of these were a lot of fun, really interesting stuff. And so I figured I'd share a whole bunch of th- from this list with you guys. And we could, you know, kick around a little bit about it if you got some more stuff to say. And uh, just roll right into it. First two were from the Bioshock series. Apparently in Bioshock 1, the first bullets that get fired at you by, you know, the splicers or any kind of the en- enemies in that game always miss they're guaranteed to miss so it's you know it just kind of is one of those things where you know, in other games you get sniped from people off screen that you don't see with the very first bullet this totally takes that away and just you know it's a warning hey he's over there mm-hmm. you need to be paying attention in this direction or from here or from the back and speaking of from the back in bioshock 2 the big daddies they move slower when you're not looking at them so if they come around a corner behind you or if you turn to run, you can actually get away. So you're not just getting speared in the back by their giant drill arms without having any idea what's going on. Which is awesome. And that's definitely mm-hmm. a feel-good uh, addition to the game. And, I mean, there's so many moments in that game where you hear the thumping you know, footsteps of the Big Daddies and you don't know where they are. So if they are behind you, you can hear them long enough to register that they're there and actively start looking for them instead of just and you're dead Mm -hmm. Uh, another one as far as illusions of you know what's going on uh, tom forsyth responded that in half-life one if you're facing more than two enemies only two of them would actually attack you the others would kind of scatter and run to random locations and he, he says bark lies saying that they're flanking you and doing all this other stuff when they're really just running to a location in the map and sitting there waiting for you to deal with the two enemies that are actually in your Mm -hmm. face and working on you. So again, you know, working down that frustration level while keeping the tension high. Oh, God, they're going to be coming around behind me. I have to take care of these guys. But they're not really. They're just wandering, running around aimlessly. But, of course, you're taking care of the two in an efficient time manner, which makes it feel like they are, and the illusion's Mm -hmm. all there, and makes you feel like you're in imminent danger and stuff. It's good. Yeah, yeah. We got one from at Chevy Ray on Twitter. They have a term called coyote time, and this applies to I think a lot of platformers, where once you when a player walks off a platforming ledge, but they can press jump just too late, it'll still work. I know you would see that a lot in it wasn't exactly the same, but in Donkey Kong Country, if you rolled off a ledge, you could still jump at the end of your roll. That was a little more, you know, direct, but you know, knowing that that is in there, because I remember playing on the NES and if you pushed it half a second too late, half a fraction of half of a second too late, you would just, eh, you're done. You just straight drop and it's over. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's nice to have that leeway because yep. people like us suck, man, you know, and we need help, <laughs> okay? And, and speaking of <laughs> sucking, the next one up is by a guy named Lee Perry who apparently worked on Gears of War. He said in Gears they found out that 90% of first-time players in multiplayer if they don't get a kill in that very first match, they never play it again. They never play multiplayer ever again. So in that very first game of your multiplayer session, they start you off with a bunch of like major advantages. He specifically says additional damage bonuses that taper off with your first few kills. So you jump in, you feel like a badass because you're wrecking people. And it's because you're not really a badass. They just pumped up all your stats super high. The poor sap at the receiving end of this, man. This is terrible. <laughs> <laughs> well, I I don't think it was like outrageous, but well, at the same time, you that poor sap 
got, got it, it on, on their his first few kills too. too. Yeah, true. I thought that was a really cool way to get you know because Gears of War is probably my first big multiplayer game and slash game series that I actually got into the death matches, the execution modes, all the other stuff. And you know, if my first match I went zero and twenty five or whatever, I probably wouldn't have played it again either. So I thought that was a really cool one just to kind of ease people into the multiplayer, get them used to it. And then when it drops back down, you know, it's just, it feels normal by that mm-hmm. point. And hopefully, hopefully, in theory, you're good enough to get a couple yeah. of kills your own and you continue forward. You'd at least be familiar with the map by mm-hmm. that point. Now, a couple more of kind of like last minute making things feel good type things. Rob Fermier says that in System Shock, they made your last bullet do double damage. So kind of heightening that tension, like, oh, my clip's running down, but I got him with the last bullet. Phew. Mm-hmm. This is a big thing in Destiny, actually. They have a lot of guns that, oh, that have a perk that tell you that mm. they do that, but it's still that, that same scenario. Like, pow, 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 mm. boom, and then they explode, and you're like, yes. And then piggybacking in the reverse way of that, they said that in the Assassin's Creed games and the Doom games, if you're down to your last chunk of health... And in Assassin's Creed, your health is actually like a bar with chunks. But they said that very last chunk of health lasts, it says longer. I I, I would even go so far as to say sometimes doubly as long as your other chunks of health. So when you're down there, it's critical. You're intense. You're really in the moment. You're trying to fight to survive. They give you that leeway. So it, it does make you feel like more of a badass when you get to scrape out with that last sliver of health. It's like, oh, yes, I did it. As opposed to just... Whap, 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 you're dead. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't matter. Plus, of course, as the player, you crave that feeling, that tension. Oh, yeah. You know, when you're getting into the nitty-gritty, you're almost down, and you're just shotgunning everything. And, of course, I've experienced this in Doom because I've played the game, mm-hmm. and, and that happens. Oh, and I love it. I feel great afterwards. So they did a good job. Somebody put all these responses into a Reddit thread, and someone in the Kotaku article put that in the comments. One that really struck a chord with me that I had no idea was there, but in Suikoden, they say that if you're walking in a straight line across the world map, it'll spawn less enemies than if you're zigzagging all over the place. So if you're actually trying hard to get where you're going, it'll make it easier for you to get there. Whereas if you're just taking your time and moseying around or trying to level up, it'll spawn enemies in faster. I thought that was really cool. I had I had no recollection of that from when I used to play it back in the day, but that's just I mean, it just makes so much sense. It's ingenious. Shouldn't all actually. RPGs do mm-hmm. that? I, I was gonna say if all of them don't, they should because that you said that and I'm like, oh wow, yeah, no. That should just be standard operating procedure. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. That's great. A couple more from shooters. They said that in Half Life Two they have ledges and railings set as like ragdoll magnets. So if you have the enemies kind of spiraling out of control, they'll kind of head for the railings more often, so they'll fly over them and the enemies will be dead. And the same thing for, I believe it was fear. It would bend your bullets toward things that exploded to make it more over-the-top, more action-packed, more ridiculous fun. That's another one I've played extensively. I've played all the fears, and I can account for that. Yes, I've heard several mm-hmm. times where I'm trying to shoot the enemy, and there's barrels right over yonder when I'm looking, you know, hands over here on a podcast. But mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, these barrels are exploding. I'm like, I, I did not shoot that barrel, but okay, cool. I'll take it. <laughs> couple cool ones I'll, I'll end with they said that uh, enter the gungeon which is a, a roguelike dungeon crawl shoot 'em up type, type of game it says that it has the ai warm up 
during your play session. So as you start, it'll be you know pretty easy, so you can actually get into it. And then the longer you play, the harder the game gets. You know, because I mean, we've all played roguelikes or you know those kind of games where you go in and you just it spawns in random crap and you're just dead. Oh yeah. Whereas here, you know, especially in Enter the Gungeon, because it it does kind of get to like a bullet hell shooter type scenario. You don't want that right off the bat. So it's cool to hear that they have that system in place to kind of ease you in and get you playing, get your reflexes up, get that going. One that stuck out to me because I did play this game a lot, in Spec Ops Line, it says that they actively change things in the environment suddenly. So like you'd look away, look back, something would be different to make you question your perception in that game because... It's it's been what ten years. You, you can you can oh, spoil yeah. it a little bit. That game's all about uh, things not being what you think they are, and once you get to the end of the game, you'll you know really why. Understand what's mm-hmm. going on there. But I thought that was cool. I noticed it a little bit when I was playing through, but not a ton. I was kind of trying to run through it quick because it was one of those games I'd heard so much about and had never finished. So I, I would be interested to go back and. You know, once the firefight has died down, kind of go back and see if the place is the same as I remembered it when I was running through it. Uh-huh. That was really cool. So all kinds of good stuff in there. Hit up Kotaku for the full article. And like I said, the comment section has a big list of even more things. There's apparently a Reddit thread on it. So kudos to all the game devs for, for tricking us, you, you dirty bastards. Come on. All them wonderful tricks to make my life better. I That's like right. it. I appreciate that. Number one. So to wrap it up, we're going to go ahead and talk a little little bit of Nintendo, everybody. <sighs> we're back in. We're, Sean Haggerty has already he's already the He's already clicked off and signed off. <laughs> See you next He's given time. us a one-star review <laughs> saying too much Nintendo. These guys are losers and I hate oh, them. Oh, come on, man. Nintendo had a direct this last couple weeks and it was a doozy. Not only did they announce all sorts of cool stuff and give some trailers for existing titles we've already talked about previously. But there was a few that I want to make real big mention of, and I know you got one or two things you want to talk about here too. So I'll kick Mm -hmm. it off, Matt, and say the biggest part. Bethesda announced that Doom is coming to the Switch this holiday season, that Wolfenstein 2, the new Colossus, will also be coming to the Switch later next year. This is is huge, because Nintendo needs the third-party support, and they're starting to get it. Okay, so that's, Mm -hmm. that's number one. Number two, Nintendo doesn't generally do a lot of mature content video games. It's never been their shtick. Well, they're bringing both of these titles in. That's huge. That means Nintendo's willing to play ball and is willing to Mm. jump in bed with some of these developers and and make compromises and bring titles out that they generally don't do to the Switch to get people on board and understand they're in it to win it. They're They're in this game. I think it shows, you know, good good faith, and you know, and will strengthen gamers' relationships with Nintendo again, bringing in these mature titles. And it also shows off the power of the Switch, because I mean, if you were if you were playing the Wii U back in the day, you weren't getting like, I don't know, God of Wars or uh, what's another game, Last of Us t- style quality games. Versus here now, you know, Doom is a, what a year old at yeah. this point, maybe a year and a half. Mm-hmm. So it's it's not the brand newest, but Wolfenstein 2 is going to be. So, I mean, it it really shows off that they're they're in it to win it, like you said. They have a gaming machine that can handle these new type of games, so you don't have to just be playing dumbed-down versions of everything else. Uh-huh. And I will say that uh, there probably will be shortcuts taken with these games. I doubt it's going to look identical to the play at PS4 version, 
But on the yeah, screen that still. small, especially if you're playing it on the go and not on your TV, and the fact yep. that you are playing it on the go and able to go to work and at lunch say, oh, man, gosh, my boss, oh, yeah, and then just start shooting demons <laughs> and blowing their brains out and everything else, you're going to feel uh-huh. better, and you're going to go back to work and go, ha, that was great. I feel I feel refreshed. That's mm. that, that, to me, is worth it. And especially that Wolfenstein game, the the previous one, Wolfenstein the New Order was fantastic. Oh, yeah. So I I'm super excited to see the sequel come out. I I've been wanting to mention it before on the show, but I'm super excited for that. And, you know, it's awesome that you can get that hot new game on the go on your Switch, play it wherever, or play it at home if you still want to. Uh-huh. Just oh super excited, super phenomenal. So that's why everybody's blown up about that particular announcement because it's a three-pronged yeah. thing and everyone's like wow this is this is definitely taking a turn for the better for nintendo and they've got mm. a lot of other previous titles i've gushed about but it, it's good stuff now this one i don't think was part of the direct and if it was maybe you can correct me but i was seeing on twitter on kotaku all kinds of love for this one recently at least in the same week nintendo announced that they're going to be bringing all of their classic arcade games to the switch via virtual console and that got me super jazzed because, I mean, the very first image that everyone showed in their articles or on the tweets was Punch-Out, the arcade game, which was A, phenomenal, and B, totally different from the NES game and the Super Nintendo game, actually. I think it actually had some a little bit of crossover with some of the characters in between Yeah, the two. I think there was. But, but I remember, as a kid, walking into the arcade going, Hey, it's Punch-Out! Throwing in quarters and going, Holy crap! This looks ten times better than what I've been playing at home, and it's got new characters. It looks it's like a totally different experience. So I'm very excited to. Well, I guess I can't be very excited because you don't own one yet. You don't own one yet, but you know what? These tides are turning. These times are changing. Hey, it might be my Christmas present to myself. So I am really excited to see that game again because I haven't seen it in. I mean, got to be like twenty five years. More than that, maybe, because mm-hmm. I, I only remember seeing it twice: once as a kid and like once as a teenager in some dusty corner of some you know half-forgotten arcade. Super excited for that! Super excited to see what other arcade games there are. I know, I mean, I know Mario Brothers was an arcade game too. Mm-hmm. I mean, it had a kind of a different build to the way the game worked. Excited to see if that's there too, because I remember playing that in front of grocery stores when I was a kid. I remember that one. Finally, just because of the the time it takes me back to, but it was yeah, frustrating yeah. as hell. That game kicked my butt, so I have <laughs> negative memories in the context of actually playing. <laughs> uh, but man, I I can't wait to see. I I love arcade games. I would like to see more arcade games ported to you know collections or virtual console areas, stuff like that. Just to oh, man, just takes you back. Oh, man. and I agree too because. The average Joe can't afford to actually get those suckers in arcade form in their house, et cetera, oh, yeah. et cetera. Yeah. Without these ports, you're never going to touch these games ever again. So mm-hmm. it's, it's very nice when companies do this. That way you can get it on disc or however, virtually or whatever, and have it forever and remember and keep them. Oh, yeah. So I was going to mention Project Octopath Traveler. dun 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 dun, dun. Just like take a drink when you see Octo Rock uh-huh. like at the Fourth of July party yes, game. Yes, that's is exactly that what, what is? it is. Yes. <laughs> so Square Enix, that's their uh, little code name for the RPG they're currently around. These are the guys who brought you Bravely Default, a fantastic 
RPG. Oh, this is the game. Yeah, 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 okay. Fantastic RPG for the 3DS. This this title I didn't really know much about last time we talked about it, beyond it being, once again, a turn-based RPG made by these guys. Well, mm. they have gave out a little more information. Octopath means, hey, <laughs> well, guess what? You get to be, oh. yeah, right? It's crazy. So you get to take one of eight characters on this journey, and they've got unique abilities, unique things, unique stories that they do and, and whatnot. Oh. And so, yeah, so you get to go through basically eight different stories if you choose to, or just one, whatever floats your boat. And you get a whole different experience because, as I said, you know, you get your warrior, your dancer, your hunter-type character, blah, 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 your barbarian. And they all have these different, like the warrior they showcased, he has the ability to challenge people. He can challenge almost anyone mm. to a duel. So there'll be guards sometimes when you can't get in the door. You can challenge them. If you beat them, you get to go through the door. Well, another character may not be able to get to that door because they ha- don't have the ability to, so you never see that particular spot. The nice. dancer, she has a lure. So she can go up and allure you into walking away with her or leading him into a trap or even calling him into battle for you, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And already it's like, yes. I didn't know anything about it. I saw like two screenshots. So hearing you talk about it, this puts me in mind of when I was playing Saga Frontier back in the day as well. It had like eight different characters, and you played through their stories. And I think in that one you could meet up with the other characters, and it got convoluted because it was only halfway finished. But it put me in mind of that game because that sounds phenomenal, seeing all the different all the different stories, all the different ways you can interact with the world, like you just said, getting through doors here, using this special ability to do this other thing that these other characters can't do. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. Yes, and the game looks beautiful in an old-school fashion. If you don't yeah. know, they, they do kind of retro artwork, you know, pixel, cool stuff like that, just like your old-school Final Fantasy threes and whatnot look like. They do that, except for mm. in this one, they've got a spin on it. It's called 2DHD. So okay. it's going to... See, I'll, I'll take that over yeah, 2.5D any day. There's no, <laughs> it's not 3D. It's all just beautiful pixelated artwork, etc. But it gives that feel of layers. Mm-hmm. So oh, yeah, yeah. it's kind of... Oh, Mira, Miramasi did that, right? I think it was. Miramasa. Miramasa yeah. and the other one. I always forget the other one. The guys... Basically, it's the same company. They just made the second one. Yeah, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. So it's got that kind of... That layered artwork to it. And it looks gorgeous. It looks like a lot of fun. And it's coming out for the Switch. So another RPG that you're going to be able to get your hands on the Switch and just sink man, your mind on oh I'm just saying, I can't, I can't help it, man. All these mm. games, they look fantastic. I'm just saying. It's good stuff mm. coming out for the Switch, mm. dude. Mm, 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 mm. Go get yourselves a Switch, <laughs> boys and girls. <laughs> <laughs> now, another news item we did touch on a little bit in a previous episode when we're talking about the SNES Classic. They did have a little bit of news talk around event saying that that is, you know, we've said it before, that's going to have more production, you know, a longer production than the NES Classic did. But in a in a bit of news that I know a ton of people are super psyched about, heck, I mean, even Player X, just when I was hanging out with him on Saturday, he specifically mentioned how excited and thrilled he was that the NES Classic is coming back into circulation in 2018. So if you wanted it, if you missed out the first time, you can get your hands on it again a second time. There's not much more to say about it, really, but, I mean, good news. They've heard, you know, Nintendo's been doing a lot of good stuff hearing the feedback from people about 
what they want, what they want changed. I mean, even game developers have been doing that a lot more recently. So another good instance of we heard the feedback, we know, we heard what you guys want, and we're going to give it to you. We're a good Because X going to give it to you. I mean, Nintendo going to give it to you. X going to give it to you. Oh, there it is. That's the jam. But, yep. Yeah, I agree. You know, the Nintendo, the classic Nintendo came out. Everybody wanted it. Almost nobody got it because they didn't make a lot of them. Mm. And now they're like, well, you know what? Oops, here we go. We got some time. We got some product. We got some material. Let's let's go ahead and put it back out along with, of course, let's the Let's go Super ahead and make NES. it yes. right, basically. Yeah. Then they promised that the uh, Super NES edition is going to have way more copies out in the wild. Reggie himself has come out and said, do not go buy this for you know ultra high prices on ebay or wherever else we yeah. will have more on shelves you know we will be able to get this into the hands of the people so mm-hmm. as long as he follows through if you want one you'll get one and i don't see why you wouldn't want one if you're an old school gamer even if you're not exactly. these are classic titles that really teach you a lot about you know where games were and how they went up and just mm-hmm. oh, just classics, man. And they're classics that hold up over yes. time, too. I mean, maybe the graphics not so much, but, I mean, uh, we talked about it earlier. Super Metroid, that game was phenomenal. It was polished. I, I still go back and play it, you know, whether it's on an emulator or my old SNES. Every few years, I go back and I relive those memories. And even in Final Fantasies, they've got the phenomenal stories. Super Mario RPG, that's a classic. You're not going to see much like that anywhere ever again. Ah, just just great. Go get yourself an SNES Classic and go grab up a, a recently re-released NES Classic when those hit the shelves again, too. All right, other than that, unless you got anything else, I think it's time to wrap it up. Ah, let's wrap it up, dude. Imposters Wrap Up. So, of course, this podcast is brought to you under the Third Shift Network. So if you guys got any questions for us, any comments, any concerns, if you just want to say hi, if you want to suggest new topics for future episodes, you can do that via email at info at thirdshift.me. You can tweet at us at thirdshiftme on Twitter, and you can find us on Facebook under Third Shift. Oh, yeah, and we do have a Patreon set up. If you guys like what you hear and want to support us, please head on over there and become a patron. Throw us 50 cents, a dollar, five dollars, one hundred dollars, a couple thousand dollars. You know, put our kids through college, help the podcast out, whatever it is you want to do is awesome. We appreciate it. We appreciate all of our current patrons. And if you can't donate, that's understandable. Money's for real. It makes you pay the bills. You got to keep living, got to keep doing things. You can support us in other ways, like giving us mailbag questions, comments, uh, ratings on the uh, Facebooks and the YouTubes and the all the freaking iTunes and the other podcasting services that you listen to our podcast on. All of it's very much appreciated. <laughs> and, of course, this podcast drops every two weeks on Tuesday, so we'll be back in your ear holes on the 3rd of October for our very next episode. And you can find those episodes on iTunes, on Stitcher, and on Podbean. And as Eric said, if you like what we do and you'd like to help us out in even any small way, please give us a like, a rating, a review, a subscription, a comment, any kind of good thing on any one of those good services because it does help us out, and we really do appreciate it. Oh, yeah. Five-star ratings are the best. It makes sparkles in my eyes that you cannot contest. Mm. Nice. Mm. And other than that, unless you got anything else, Eric, I'm just going to say, don't don't forget forget to to save. save.